Welcome to the Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again this week. Uh, I'm with a friend of mine, uh, Brother Ryan Butler. Brother Butler, welcome. Thank you, thank you. It's good to be with you. Thanks. Uh, Brother Butler is uh, maybe unique in SNI that his current assignment in the church is to be a stake president of uh, YSA Stake. Um, and so I'm excited, Brother Butler, to have you here. And, and your mind probably is on young adults more than most. Just always. Because of that, right? Always, always. <laughs> it's a good group to have your mind on. Yeah. So uh, before we jump in, uh, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on you? Tell us about your family. Tell us who you are, where you, how long you've been with SNI, just what we should know. Thank you. Uh, been with SNI for 20 years. Okay. Um, been really here in Southwest Idaho the whole time. Um, have six children. Uh, oldest is married, next one's on a mission, yeah. then two in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. Yeah, so yeah. kind of run that whole gamut there. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an exciting time in life. Yeah, that's fun. Um, tell me, you studied some interesting things in, in your Yeah, my undergrad recently. degree was in Biblical Hebrew. Is yeah. that what we're, yeah. So um, I took a, an institute class actually from a, a teacher who was a Jewish man who converted to the church. Oh, wow. And I took a teachings of Isaiah class from him. And about halfway through I that class, I changed my major from poli-sci to biblical Hebrew because he would always just, here's some insights. And he would just write it out on the board. And I, man, it was awesome. I just loved it. So That's I felt really inspired cool. to make that change. And That's really cool. It's been good. It's been very helpful, especially to me as a, as a newer teacher. I've been about half as long with us and I as you were or have been. And, and um I remember some early trainings that you gave and teaching you gave where just getting me to think about how I read and, and that there's more to see if I take a little more time and study. So I've appreciated your uh, wealth of knowledge all over the years there. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited to be, we're in the book of Second Nephi now. Uh, we've finished First Nephi um, and uh, we're going to just cover chapters one and two today and probably not sequentially from verse one to the end of chapter two, but um, but with that, why don't you just give us uh, kind of how you want us to jump in? Where, what should we know and where should we go? Great point. Thank you. This is, this is our transitional period, right? Yeah. First Nephi, although from Nephi's perspective, really is the story of Lehi. Sure. Um, now here in Second Nephi, these first couple of chapters is the beginning of our transitionary period where it really is now Nephi's yeah. story. He's picking the story up. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is the beginning kind of that transition. It's the end of Lehi's life as he kind of leaves that end-of-life father's blessing. Yeah. We have a lot of that in the scriptures. Jacob, for instance, has kind of a very similar feel with his, his children. We're going to have a, a Jacob-like experience here with Lehi sure. as he leaves some very pointed counsel for his children yeah. uh, and his family before he passes on. Yeah, yeah, and that's always interesting to me because, you know, as a father, as a parent, you have children that have just different ways of being, and you counsel them differently. 
Um, and it always it is always interesting to me to think about how Lehi's counsel to Lehman and Lemuel was very direct and very um, maybe warning based um, versus the counsel that he was giving Nephi and Sam and you know those that were following the path. Um, and it, it makes me pause a little bit to think: How do I counsel my kids? And am I it, it, am I too harsh sometimes? Am I too heavy with those that are struggling a little bit? And and so I think Lehi's a good. Uh, a good example to me in a lot of those things. It is interesting, <clears throat> jumping a little ahead, Nephi really doesn't at least include much of what his dad had to say to him, right? We have a chapter right. for Laman and Lemuel, we have yeah, a chapter for right. Jacob, we have a chapter for Joseph, right, yeah. and then we have Nephi saying how bad he is yeah. in his own psalm <laughs> yeah. in chapter 4. And so, <laughs> Wretched man uh, that I, am, right? I don't know what the conversation <clears throat> was between he and Lehi, because yeah. Nephi chose not to record that. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's but it would be fun to read that someday. Yeah, no kidding. Well, good. Well, okay, so let's just jump into chapter 1 then. Okay. Um, uh, just take us in. What, what should we look at? Love it. Let's, if, I would probably jump uh, into verse 15. Okay. And maybe 14 is a better start point. But this is he, Lehi, speaking to Laman and Lemuel. Awake, arise from the dust. Hear the words of a trembling parent. Uh, you know, like, Laman and Lemuel, please, please listen. Right. And then... Just an interesting phrase, considering the context, the situation, and the circumstance of the man who's saying it. Verse 15, but behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory. I am circled, encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Mm. Now, of all the things for him to focus and say at the end of his life, mm. this sounds like a man, I mean, if we were to just write out Lehi's life, yeah. at least the last dozen years, sure. I don't know that ease would make the list. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right? You've got two sons who have literally tried to kill you. Yeah. And you continue to bring them with you. Right. You start a new civilization. You leave behind the ease of life that was. You have two children in your older years in the wilderness. Right. You've watched your children maybe not interact in the most Christ-like of ways. They have moments. Right. Unfortunately, they have lots more of the other moments. Right. Um, you've brought in a whole new family into your dynamic with Ishmael's family, plus Zoram that you've yeah. brought in. And all of this, if anybody could face, I don't know, a little anxiety and a little sure. depression, yeah. sure seems like that would be on Lehi's short oh, list. yes, his capacity to complain. <laughs> exactly. Should have been hired mine, at least. Well, and so... Let me be clear when I say that on the front end. I'm not speaking to clinical anxiety sure. and depression sure. here. I'm just talking about, man, this is tough. Yeah. Things are tough. I'm not getting from Lehi the toughness. Yeah. He's just saying, I am encircled about eternally in the arms of the Savior's love. He's focused on redemption. Yeah. He's focused on the help that he's received. And there's probably something to that for the so many of us that have various challenges in life, yeah. right? I think of young adults specifically and all the challenges that they say, see in the world in which we currently sure. live. Sure, right? Which but are real. If I was 25 oh, right yeah. now, <laughs> I would seriously have questions like, how can I buy a home in the Treasure Valley right. ever? Yeah, no kidding. Um, how can I find somebody who together we can raise a family in the midst of so much confusion? Yeah. There are some legitimate concerns. Yeah. But I guess what, I, what I'm seeing here from Lehi, what I feel here from Lehi in this uh, emphasis that he's giving is to just be positive. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. In fact, I heard somebody say uh, the other day, just in passing, I didn't even know who they were. Um, he said, where attention goes, intention follows. Hmm. 
And so I wrote this little thought after that. If our attention is focused on what we do not have, our attentions go to obtaining what lacks. The first temptation on earth was just that, a temptation of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, right? Every tree and freely, right? Uh, but the one item that was lacking was the one that became a focus, probably after some extended period of time. Sure. And obviously Eve needed to partake of the fruit for, for the plan to happen. But, but I love the idea that <clears throat> too often I think we look at what we don't have and we focus on that to try to obtain what we don't have as opposed to being grateful for what we don't have, for the challenges that it might provide, for the, um, the experiences that, that cause me to be grateful for the things I do have. Um, and I think maybe, maybe it's easier here with Lehi as well, hindsight and the end of his life, you know, um, to be able to do that. But, but I agree with you, young adults especially, I think there's, there's so many things that they're trying to obtain. Um, because they're, they're at that age where you, sure. you're obtaining a wife and you're a spouse and you're obtaining a, a career or a degree or whatever, um, that, that I think too often the focus goes to those obtain ideas and a little less frequently to, what do I already have? Yeah. I might share a story about that if, if I can. I had a, a sister in our stake. Um, she's got to be mid-20s, kind of lower mid-20s, probably in the 22 to 24 range. Yeah. And uh, I'd been to her ward, and then two weeks later was there again, and then three weeks later was there again. Every time I walked in, here was the, how the conversation went. She said to me, hey, I need a husband. Any ideas? Who can I date? <laughs> uh, and I always make the joke, like, we don't have a steak yenta. We don't have somebody who goes around <laughs> setting everybody up, right? That's not a calling, despite sometimes being asked. I just found it fascinating. She was sitting in a chapel, preparing to sit at the, the altar of the sacrament to connect with the Savior in some pretty powerful, real, and unique ways yeah. available only to covenant members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And instead of spending that time to be hyper-focused on being a sliver of a sliver of a percentage of people who have that access, right. she was so caught up in her marital status. Yeah. And it's what a righteous desire. Sure. But there's a time and a season, and quite frankly, this is just practical advice. If you continue to portray yourself as the person who's looking for a spouse, <laughs> that's exactly how everybody will see you. Yeah. And ultimately, I think we want to be seen as disciples of Christ. Yeah. And, and foremost, yeah. being a disciple of Christ will find you yeah. that companion. Yeah, and it, and it will prepare you most for that companion too, right? I, I think too often... Uh, I remember being that age and, and feeling like I was just looking to fill that gap. I, I wanted to fill that gap. And, and as opposed to seeing, you know, there's a lot of gaps in me that I could have been filling that would have prepared me for the spouse that I do have, right? Yeah. And had I spent the time then focused on those things, there would, there would probably have been a f lot fewer disagreements <laughs> in the early years of my marriage, right? So, yeah, I think, I think uh, I love that. I love that story. I think it's, uh, it's very relevant. Um, you know, I had a I had a young adult come into the seminar institute one time, and I asked her about what ward she was going to, just to try to figure out what groups she was around. And, oh, okay. And she said, "Ah, it's this ward, but it just kind of feels like a meat market." <laughs> and and, uh, and I think that's true to some degree. You know, so too often I think we go into those so we turn it into a social setting, as a, as opposed to a place to worship and to. 
And, and frankly, part of the reason is even in the labeling that we've done itself, right? We call them YSA wards. Right. And that's how they're labeled in the handbook, so I'm not sure. speaking ill of that per se, other than to say the most important part of the YSA ward is the fact that it's a ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. Not that it's full of young people, single people, or adult exactly. people. Yeah, yeah. Sister Dennis, uh, the first counselor in the General Relief Society presidency was here two weeks ago, and um, in a meeting we were in before that, mm -hmm. She mentioned that, you know, uh, she doesn't love the idea, the concept of young adults that, that, that are now in a young adult ward and a young adult stake, right? They, they graduate from, um, from the youth programs and they graduate into an elders quorum and into a relief society. They don't graduate into a young adult elders quorum right. or a young adult, but that's how we group them. And I think that's okay for some social reasons and, and just life, life reasons. Sure. But that we think that way, yeah. I think, is problematic there. I was uh, in a stake council meeting, and our currently serving stake at the time, the, the secretary of the stake relief study was a young single adult. And there had been some conversation. Our stake council is probably 50% young adults and 50% experienced sure. adults. And there had been some conversations, some of the high counselors had mentioned just the concept, well, isn't this a great training ground, isn't it great that we can have these young single adults serve in relief study presidencies and elders quorum and even here on the high council, isn't it yeah. great that, as a training ground? And bless her heart, she raised her hand and said, this is my life, this is not a training ground, this yeah. is my life. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of, I mean, we felt it like, ooh, we just got called to repentance, appropriately right, so. Yeah. And we felt it like, no, that... This is your life. Yeah. If you're a young adult right now, this is your life. Exactly. Please don't wait for some future moment to arrive. For sure. Live it now. Right. And uh, Sister Dennis also said that they're not future leaders. They're leaders. Exactly. Right. They're, they're, and, and probably that's true from my experience. They're leading more than I'm leading most of the time, uh, if given the reins to do it and sure. freedom to, freedom to do it. And it's interesting, Lehi, in the next verse, uh, you shared 15, and he felt like he was encircled eternally in the arms of, his love, of Christ's love. And then he says the desire to his children. I desire that you, ye should remember to observe the statutes and judgments of the Lord. That's where he felt those things. It wasn't because his family was all tied together. It wasn't because he'd obtained the promised land. It was because he had uh, been observant to what the Lord had asked him to do, which I think ties exactly to what we're talking about, that, that if you focus on the things the Savior has asked you to do spiritually in your life first, yeah. Um, then the temporal things come. It's President Nelson talking about why you need to attend an institute, that all of the things that, um, that you're trying to obtain that are righteous and good will be better if you have those spiritual things in place first. Absolutely. So cool, so cool. Okay, where else? Well, so this is, let's go to 21. Okay. Oh, so once first. again, yeah, well, there's something, there's, there's a specific four words that I really would like to drive in on mm -hmm. and spend a little time here. But um, he's never necessarily said, hey, Laman and Lemuel, I'm speaking to you. But he's obviously <laughs> speaking to Laman and Lemuel. Right. And uh, 21, now that my soul might have joined you and that my heart might leave this world with gladness because of you, that I might not be brought down with grief and sorrow to the grave. Here's the first word. Arise. Mm -hmm. I'll skip the next few words. And be men. Yeah. Arise and be men. Yeah. Um, we, I, I say this, it's a little bold. It's intended to be a little bold. The world does not need any more males. Mm. But the Lord needs men. Mm, I love that. So I, I'm sure there are, there are males listening right now, <laughs> right? So what, is it, what does it mean to be a man? 
as opposed to just being male. I've got a couple of quotes here if please, I can share yeah, them. Please. This is from 2006, October 2006, Eller Christofferson. The talk is, let us be men. <laughs> he says this, a psychologist studying the growing phenomenon of what he calls young men stuck in neutral describes this scenario. Justin goes off to college for a year or two, wastes thousands of dollars of his parents' money, then gets bored, comes home, take up residence in his old room, the same bedroom where he lived when he was in high school. Now he's working 16 hours a week at Kinko's, which is now called the FedEx store, yeah. or part-time at Starbucks. His parents are pulling their hair out. Justin, you're 26. You're not in school. You don't have a career. You don't have a girlfriend. What's the plan? Where are you going to get a life? Or when are you going to get a, get a life? And Justin says, what's the problem? I haven't got arrested. I haven't asked you guys for money. Why can't you just chill? And then Elder Christofferson says, how's that for ambition? We who hold the priesthood of God cannot afford to drift. We have work to do. We must arise from the dust of self-indulgence and be men. Wow. What a great talk. What was that year again from that? That's October 2006. Yeah. That's great. Let us be men. Um, in my conversations with young single adult sisters, this is, their, this is what they're asking for. Sure. Yeah. Where are the men? Yeah. Lots of males. Yeah. Where are the men? Yeah, I had a student who, uh, mid, mid, late 20s, um, young man who uh, loves some gaming, specific, very specific gaming. Okay. And, um, and talks about it a lot. Yeah. It's, it's very evident that's, that's what he's into. And so in our uh, associations, he came to me one time and was like, ah, I just need to date somebody. And I said, there's this girl that's kind of in this class that I'm in with you. That I, I don't know, do you think she'd be interested in me? I was like, I can't, we can't hurt to ask her. Ask her out, see what happens. So we had this kind of like thumbs up at the end of the night or thumbs down if he was going to do it or he wasn't going to do it. And I was going to just give him a thumbs up and see where he's at. And so at the end of the night, he gives me a thumbs up. He was going to ask her out. I'm so excited. So the next week, he, he gets to the class early and... And I said, uh, so how'd it go? Did, did you take her out? And he says, yeah, it didn't go very well. And I said, oh, what, what, what happened? He says, well, I took her to the gaming group that I'm in, and they, she didn't really like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, well, maybe not. <laughs> but, but, it, but it became more about uh, him finding someone that was willing to just chill with him than finding someone to be a companion to and, and to assist. And, and he still is a little bit in that mindset, still yeah. trying to find that one person that'll be able to chill with well, him. I mean, listen, you work with young single adult women. Just envision this scenario, because this, <laughs> this actually happened. A young man comes into my office, sets an appointment with my executive secretary. This is that big of a deal to yeah, him, right? right. Comes, sits down across the table from me, or my desk, excuse me, and says, I really want a wife. Uh -huh. Okay. I met a girl in a ward a couple weeks ago. <laughs> also looking for a husband. <laughs> Funny story, they're in the same ward. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But the problem was, so I said to him, so what are you doing to be husband-like? Yeah. He said, I, you know, I'm asking girls on dates. I'm, I'm going to all the FHEs. I'm going to Institute. Like, I, I really am putting myself out there. Yeah. I said, awesome. Uh, you just described, like, 10 hours of your week. Tell me what you do yeah. with the rest of it. Oh, President, I'm working really, really hard. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, I'm working at GameStop. Look, we're working like two six-hour shifts a week. I'm exhausted Ooh. from that. Wow. <laughs> now, you, this is audio, so they can't see your face. Right. <laughs> what are your thoughts when you hear that? Oh, wow. I think, how are you going to provide or... Or yeah, I'm thinking that's like Tuesday. Most of us call that Tuesday. <laughs> not a week. And not even at GameStop. That would be fun Tuesday. <laughs> um, I said, okay. Then what do you do with your free time? Oh, well, I mean, I, you know, I really like whatever game he was playing at the sure, time. Sure. I spent a lot of time on that. And the more we visited, it was evident to me that this was a boy yeah. wanting the, the blessings of being a man. Yeah. But being a man, which brings with it a tremendous amount of blessings, yeah. brings with it some tremendous work. Yeah, and responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. This is another talk. This is from Bishop Edgley, okay. presiding Bishop Rick, October of 99. Okay. You can describe a man in inches, pounds, complexion, or physique, but you measure a man by character, compassion, integrity, mm. tenderness, and principle. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. It, it, the difference between uh, dis description and measuring, right? It, it, and uh, I wonder, I wonder if it even goes back to how we interact. Um, had a young man come, actually, it was a young woman come to me and and share a text with me, and she said, "Brother Swanson, I don't know what to do with this." And I said, "What? What is it?" She reads me this text, and it was from a young man, that, and and the text just was simply was, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" And she's like, I don't know what that means. Is that like, is that like a hangout with his group, his friend group, or is that like a we're gonna go on a date? I don't know what that means. And so I helped her respond, like, well, what does that mean? Like, yeah. it was very simple. It's like, tough. Yeah, I know, right. Communication is hard. <laughs> and uh, and over the course of of time, uh, in the response back and forth, it, he just wanted to take her out. He wanted to ask her on a date and take her go mini golfing. It was a very simple, but it took her saying to him. What what are you what are your intentions with me? Yeah, literally before he could and he didn't even really ever ask her. It just became clearer what he was asking over the course of time and and I think the measurement of um, I think there's some self measuring you can do right. How clear are your communications? How clear is it that you're trying to pre prepare to provide or preside or protect? How clear are the things you're doing? If a young woman just watched you or a young man just watched you trying to prepare to do whatever it is your uh, divine uh, assignment is, uh, how clear is it that you're, you're working on those things, right? That, that's a, that's a big that. measurement. And, and marital status isn't the only key to this, because remember verse 21, if we're back in the scripture block, yeah. who's he calling to be men? His, his, his this would be Laman and Lemuel married, who are married, married children, yeah. right? Married men, yeah. And it, it's more about those characteristics. So an invitation I might make to the men who are listening um, there are things that, that men do, and there are things that men don't do. And when I say men, I only mean the way that God describes yeah. this, right? So, one, I, I would invite them, find men who are being men of God yeah. and, and emulate yeah. what you're seeing from them. Yeah. Two, if you're, here's what men don't do. Men are not involved in pornography. Men are not wasting their time watching nonsense. Yeah. Men don't spend five hours scrolling right. the reels on Instagram. Right. They just don't because yeah. they don't have time. Right. Or they don't want to use their time that way. Sure. Um, and maybe most importantly, this one I just feel super strongly about, men don't mock chastity mm. through language, through jokes, through mm. how they treat 
women when they're on right. dates with them. Yeah. Men need to be protectors mm. of chastity. Yeah. Now, of course, a lot of this would apply to women also. But this particular verse is just saying yeah. we need men. Men, right. right? And descriptive of men too, right? I think in, back then and today. Maybe, Absolutely. Right? Obviously, the challenges are a little different. But it's interesting to me as we read that how, how my mind's going back to the way that Lehi's starting these uh, starting this counsel to his sons. Verse 13, Oh, that ye would awake, awake from a deep sleep, yea, even from the sleep of hell, and shake off the awful chains by which ye are bound. That, context, that concept to me is people that aren't moving. They're just sitting. They're just waiting for life to happen to them. And then to say, I'm a man. Right. right? In the next verse, 14, Awake, arise from the dust. Yeah. The concept of dust getting on you means you're not moving at all. Right. He says that again. Those are the words you skipped, right? Arise from the dust, my sons, and be men. So the, that concept, those, those boys were just sitting, okay. and they were just waiting for their lives to be given to them. And to, to shake off the dust means you're, you're moving. You've got stuff to do. Yeah, you don't have that. time. You don't have time. Awesome, awesome. Okay, keep going. Well, let's jump into two. Okay. Um, I don't... This one's just going to be me nerding out for a minute. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, just fascinating. Verse 4. I don't know that Joe. I know, I'm confident, that Joseph Smith, upon translating chapter 2, did not think he was wading into the waters of <laughs> Christian doctrine sure. that had been debated, discussed, and fought about at that point for a solid thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 4. And thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory, wherefore thou art blessed even as they unto whom he shall minister in the flesh. For the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way is prepared from the fall of man, and salvation is free. Hmm. Those three words, what does that even mean? Salvation is free. If there's one thing that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been accused of, it's of not believing that salvation sure. is free. Yeah. Right? Oh, you guys have to earn your way to heaven. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about this phrase. We think about salvation is free. Like, if I want a car, and I had to go to the lot to pick it up, is it free? No, you had to do something to get right? it. Right? <laughs> but it is free yeah. from a transactional perspective. Sure. I didn't pay for the car. Right. But there is effort required on my part to go... Obtain it. Right. When you have a dinner at a restaurant and you get a coupon for two meals, they're not bringing it to you. Yeah. You still have to... You're going to get dressed. <laughs> you're going to go to the restaurant. You're going to drive there. You're going to set an appointment. You're right. going to go in. You're going to eat. You have to choose off the menu. Yep. You still have to do all of those things, but ultimately, at the end of the night, the meal was free. Free. Yeah. So, in that same context, I'm totally comfortable with saying salvation is free, mm -hmm. but that does not, in any way, shape, or form, indicate that there's nothing you and I need to do. Right. Yeah. Still free. Yeah, I like that um, <clears throat> because the next verse, um, men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil, and the law is given unto men. I mean, he's very definitely saying there is a law. You Absolutely. have to live the law, right. which is get in the car and go to the dealership and get your car, right? Right, so, and nobody's justified by the law Right. in, in verse 5. Meaning justified meaning you can't stand before Heavenly Father and say, here's the law, yeah. here's what I did, I get the celestial kingdom. Right. Of course not. By the law, no flesh is justified. Right, right there. In fact, actually, the opposite happens. Right. We're condemned because of the law. Because By the law, men are cut off. Right exactly there. Exactly right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but in this context, all when he says salvation is free, well, it is. Right? Because Jesus is saying, here's a gift yeah. offered 
whether we talk resurrection, which is literally free for everybody sure. ever born, or exaltation in the celestial kingdom, either way, especially with the, you still have to go to the restaurant. Sure. You still have to go to the car lot. Yeah. Now he calls those covenants and ordinances. Yeah. But but he's asking not for payment. Sure. But he's asking us to come and partake. Yeah, it's the indication that I want to receive the gift offered to me. If I get the gift, I never open the gift. I didn't actually get the gift. I just received. I just obtained it. I didn't. Right. I didn't receive it unto right. myself. Right. And, and the gift is seven, six and seven. But seven, behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the end of the law. Unto here's the people who show up at the restaurant, mm-hmm. all those who have a broken heart. And a contrite spirit. And then this powerful doctrinal statement, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because he just got done talking about the law in verse 5. But in here, the conditions of obtaining the promise is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Repentance. Right. Right. Um, it isn't perfection. It isn't obedience, perfect obedience to every no, law. No. It is that you know the law, and when you break the law, have a contrite heart and repent of, those, right. of those things, right? Yep. And, and so I think, I think it, it maybe gives me hope that while I continue to struggle through the same things I've struggled through for years and years in my life, um, the condition of, of obtaining the promise is just that I continue to repent. Yeah. And I don't harden myself enough to think I'm never going to overcome this. God doesn't want me, yeah. you know, and stop repenting of it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, very cool. I like that. Uh, we could spend weeks, yeah. right? Second Nephi chapter two. Yeah. When, when we talk doctrine, this right. is one of our more doctrinally dense chapters. Uh, President Nelson, his talk when uh, April of two thousand on the creation. Yeah. He introduces chapter two, saying, "Hey, this is going to give us our three pillars: creation, fall, right. atonement." Yeah, right. And so we could go dive into some of that. But but a point that I might just make here that I find fascinating. Uh, the Book of Mormon is true because the Holy Ghost has told me so. Sure. Right? That's the foundation. But isn't it fun to see lots of other little pillars mm-hmm. to that? Yeah. So, for instance, it, the Book of Mormon was not given to a young man who was not in some way part of a pretty deep doctrinal conversation in upstate New York that's answered by this chapter. Yeah. So, we know his mother, Lucy Mack, and three of his siblings joined the Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. Joseph says that he was actually a little more towards the Methodist church. If you go in, especially then, and look at the main doctrinal difference between Presbyterianism and Methodism at the time, one of the number one differences is Presbyterians believed in predestination and no free will. Mm -hmm. The Methodists believed in the um, good works and free will. So where's Joseph's heart already leaning? towards good works and free will, Mm -hmm. as he's translating chapter 2, how do you think that young man's heart was feeling? Oh, yeah. God is saying, I'm going to deliver a message that runs contrary because Presbyterianism actually is more dominant at the time. I'm going to deliver to a young man whose heart is open to a pretty key doctrine through 2 Nephi chapter 2. Yeah, and and I I also love, I I appreciate that. I think that's a really uh, poignant uh, note that I hadn't hadn't picked up on it. I also love that another maybe proof, minor proof. Sure. I don't know that this uh, the way that the way that this chapter lays out is the exact same way that the Lord teaches um, about the plan of salvation in um, 
in Corinthians. It's the same way he teaches it in Alma 18. Um, he, he starts with the Savior. And then he talks about the fall, right? He, 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 but, but he doesn't start with the fall and doesn't, doesn't go through man's life on earth and then the Savior. Right. It's the Savior is necessary to the, to the plan. And I think that the, the Lord being the same in how he teaches will always teach it the same way. Yeah. Christ-centered, right? This is, this is about the Savior first and foremost. And then, um, and, and then the plan can work. And maybe it goes back to what we were talking about before. If you're centering your life on Christ, the rest of the plan for your life will come out. Right? It will all work out. And, and that's powerful when we start having conversation in this chapter, 16. The Lord gave unto man that he should act for himself, right? Yeah. This is a theme we're going to see throughout this. Verse 14, right? It says that uh, there are things to act and things to be acted upon. Yeah. Verse 27, free to choose. 28, uh, choose, right? Mm -hmm. Choose eternal life. 29, don't choose eternal death. Yeah. The concept of choice. Sometimes this can become too micro. Right, yeah. Like, are we talking about the choice I make <laughs> on a Wednesday evening to go to institute or not go to institute? Now, that's an important choice. Sure. That's not what we're addressing here. Sure. We're saying go to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Versus not go to Jesus. Right. Now, you and I would say... Nobody cares what we think. President Nelson, a prophet of God, <laughs> right. would say going to institute is actually an essential part of right. coming unto Christ. Yeah. Going and partaking of the sacrament in a meaningful, personal way is an essential part of coming unto Christ. Yeah. Acting in the temple as, as a proxy for those who need the work done literally carries with it the title of Savior. Yeah. Man, I really like that. Will you... Put your put your institute director and institute teacher hat on now, for a minute, um, and, and maybe we take a break in the, in the block for a second because it's one of the conversations that we've had about this podcast, just in general, is is this meeting the needs of young adults around the world? Is it fulfilling a uh, institute experience enough for them? that they can check the box and say, yeah, I did my institute thing this week. Mm. Um, and and I, I would say no. I would say, I think what this podcast is intending for is to get you to think and begin to think and, and maybe find application to young adulthood um, in what you're reading every week. Yeah. But if you're, if you're listening to Brother Swenson and whoever the guest host is right. um, on a Monday or Sunday for the coming week and thinking, yeah, I've done my Come Follow Me for the week, one, no, right, right. <laughs> but, but two, uh, the Institute uh, wants, to, wants to help you be gathered, help you um, find a place to have uh, a spiritual growth and, and be a voice, have a voice. Um, and this podcast doesn't allow for that. I mean, even if we try, even if we try to put a Facebook page together and, and have you interact it's with each other. It's going to be different, Yeah, right? it's different. So, so tell me how... Uh, Tell me what invitation you would make. I love that. Can I use a story maybe? To, just a, an object that comes to my mind. If you ever have, we had lots of old diesel pickups growing up, mm -hmm. and they had to be plugged in overnight to Heated keep the up. block, yeah. right? The, yeah. One of those block heaters. Yep. Um, and so those block heaters were pretty essential to get the, the pickup started or the tractor started. Sure. But that's all it was good for. I didn't anticipate that a block heater would allow me to then go feed the cows. Right. 
All it did was start it. I right. still had to have diesel sure. literally in it. Yeah. The, all the block heater did was help me start. I, I think this podcast is an amazing block heater. Yeah. I think it can awaken within people a desire to have conversations with others or hear others' conversations sure. yeah. about the scriptures, about the Savior, about living prophets, about some things that can really help them mm. connect with their peers and with their Savior. Mm. But, but I think attending institute is diesel in the tank. Yeah, sure. And, and I think that has to happen at some point. Right. Like, yeah, you got the engine started, but but you still have you to do. Move. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> we don't want dust, yeah, right? right. We, we've got to travel, and that requires diesel. Yeah. And Institute is absolutely essential for young adults yeah. at putting diesel in their engine. There will. I've heard this from many of my stake members. I go to church. I work in the temple. Why do I need Institute? Yeah. I, there's a long answer, but here's the best one, especially for somebody who's going to church and, and worshiping in the temple. They're already converted, yeah. right? right? Well, here's the answer. Because a prophet of God asked you to. Yeah. And I, I don't know how it's going to pay off for that individual per se, sure. but I am confident that it will, Yeah. right? Because no, whether it's dipping ourselves seven times in the River Jordan right. or attending institute, yeah. if a prophet asks you to do it and you do it, Miracles occur. Yeah, and, and it wasn't just a blind ask either. I mean, there are some very specific promises that were given when the ask happened. Right. Um, and it's interesting to me, and it's something I think about quite a bit, like why aren't there four talks every general conference about young adults going to institute? Right. Like this right. is a thing, right? Because the way he spoke about that when he made that invitation right. was this will change your life. It will affect your future. And, um, and, and then it's kind of left, left there. It's almost put on the shelf like this was 10 years ago that he said this thing, and so now we're... Or, or maybe it's not as important as it used to be, and and I think that's not true. It was in, I just had an interesting experience last week. Um, it was in Southern California with my family, and um, we were driving by a little tech school just in the middle of Anaheim area, and there's an institute immediately across the street from a tech school in Anaheim, California. Hmm. And one of my kids said, hey, Dad, there's the institute. And I was like, yeah, it's probably associated with that, that um, you know, the tech school across the street, the college across the street. And my kid said, is there an institute at every college? And I said, well, where the young adults are gathered, there are institute classes offered. Whether there's an actual physical building or not, sure. or whether the stake calls institute teachers to come in to teach. Um, but literally everywhere, I think in the world, there is, a, there is a coordinator from seminary and institute who either teaches directly those institute classes or works with the state called teachers to teach those classes. So I'm kind of speaking now, I think President Butler can, can speak directly to his own stake in this area, right? But, but speaking to those in, in California or out in the, the South, you know, where we have a lot of listeners, um, I would hope that this wouldn't be your institute fix. We love that you're here. We don't want you to stop coming just because sure. you go to an institute class either, right? right. But, but that you would see value in going and adding your voice to the conversation and getting to know uh, an institute teacher, man or woman, someone that could be a mentor, like you were saying earlier, right? That you could emulate your life a little, little bit after. Not that we're all perfect, but, but we're trying. We, you know, um, but, but even more so um, that you could find the Savior a little more in your life, that you could be a little more centered on Him and be in a safe place gathered together with other saints that um, maybe is where you find your spouse, right? I mean, if all those things are, are in the mix and Man, there's a lot of reasons to, to pop into an institute yeah. and just see what's going on there. Agreed. So Amen. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the, the pause there. I just think it's valuable to have that conversation. Okay. 
Um, what else in chapter two? Yeah, I mean, you can't have a, hardly have a conversation in chapter two and not at least hit twenty five and twenty seven, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> obviously, the, the fall occurred so that you and I could be here, mm-hmm. and we are here to have joy. And and I like I'm intentionally linking twenty five with twenty seven. Not that I'm ignoring 26, because obviously 27 can't happen without 26, sure. which is the Messiah comes sure. to redeem us from the fall. Yeah. But 27, we're free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men or captivity and death. According mm. to the, the, you want to be, you want to have joy? That joy does not mean sunshine and lollipops. Right. What joy means is liberty and eternal life, sure. chosen by us, granted by Christ. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it isn't even future sunshine and lollipops. You think about, you know, if, if I go to the celestial kingdom, I think I'm just going to be joyful and happy every day, all day long. And I think while that might be true because of where you are, if our objective is to become like our Father in heaven, we know that there's still, like, sadness there because he watches us, sure. <laughs> right? I mean, sure. there's still moments in life, in the eternal life, I think, where God is a proof that, Sadness is part of a, being a being, right? To 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 be uh, frustrated. God gets frustrated, I think, with our behaviors. He doesn't he doesn't act out in in negative ways, really. Sure. But but I think too often we look at life and we say all the negative in life will go away in the celestial kingdom, and and while the sinful will go away, God weeps. The, Moses seven, right? right? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the the emotion that I think is godly. Sure. Um, isn't all sunshine and lollipops. Well, that's where I think trying to deepen our understanding of joy yeah. is pretty essential. Yeah. So just very personal experience. A couple of years ago, my dad has a stroke, mm-hmm. and we watched as he kind of hung on for a week or two and then passed away. Hard. Yeah. Watching my mom struggle and watch that happen. Hard. Yeah. Watching my siblings and myself sure. process. Hard. Seeing yeah. this man... It was always just a larger-in-life figure always pass on and become very weak and needed help. I mean, it was a two-week process, so it wasn't long, but but it felt long. I wouldn't say I was running around smiling everywhere, but was there joy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because even in the midst Mm. of challenge, even in the midst of difficulty, Christ desires us to have joy. I would be comfortable if somebody added a word to 25 mm. and just said, men are that they might have joy now. Yeah. This isn't just a promise for some future day where I'll finally get right. to have joy. Yeah, exactly. The intent is to have joy now. Now. I think about Christ's life and I think uh, maybe of every man that has ever lived, Christ deserved to be sad every day, all day long. Sure. Or, or to be frustrated by the people around him, sure. or all the all the negative emotions that you could put on him. But, but ultimately, when you look at his life, it, it, as his friends are denying him, and his friend—I mean, just all the things he was going through—I think that when the Savior went to bed at night, because he had been perfectly righteous every day, because he listened to the Spirit and said only what the Spirit asked him to say, and responded to you know naysayers in a way that was perfect every time. Didn't mean they followed. It didn't mean that they agreed and, and jumped in line behind him. In fact, most of the time I think he taught and people didn't listen and people fought him. But he went home at night and he felt joy, I think, every night because he had done it right. 
sadness still cons was part of that experience, sure. right? Did he walk away from those moments and think, man, I wish they would come with me. It would be so much better for them. But there was never a, a, a view of himself as I'm failing. I'm not doing this correctly. And, and I think because of that, he could have joy in every experience in every part of his day. Sad, hard, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but joyful? But I don't think sad and hard and sorrow are in any way contrary feelings no, to joy. No. When he's weeping with Mary and Martha because of Lazarus' passing, yeah. still joy. Yeah. And not just joy because he knows what's about to happen five verses later. Right. But there's just joy because he, he knows the plan, he understands what's going to happen, and has yeah. lived a life accordingly. Yeah, it's President Nelson's talk about joy, right? That joy is found in the focus of our lives, not in the circumstances of our lives. Absolutely. He, he teaches in that uh, a little story, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it because I don't know the, the story well enough. But during the, the uh, pioneer experiences, uh, there was a time where uh, a whole bunch of people were relegated to one little building. And there wasn't enough room for anybody to sit down all night long. It was freezing cold outside. But they had this joyful experience, literally like a hundred people stand in a little tiny room all night long. All the, all the negative things still existed. They were cold. Their legs hurt. Um, you know, they, they didn't want to stand next to smelly so-and-so, uh, whatever. But they would describe that moment as a very joyful experience. Well, and you're a music guy. How, I've read Come Come You Saints. Yeah. And the last verse always teaches me this. Yeah. And should we die before our journey's through? Happy day. <laughs> <laughs> That's joy. Yeah. That's joy, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and maybe it goes back to a line in 26 um, that we, and it's Elder Bednar says this all the time, to act for themselves and not to be acted upon. Yeah. When we look at our experiences in life as if they are being thrust upon us, that we are being given these horrific things that we have to go through, like your dad's passing. Um, yeah, it, you, could, you could be really negative and you could have a, a really um, poor outlook on the experiences that you're going through. Or you recognize I have some choice in how I handle this and, and how I'm going to look at this. From the beginning, yeah. the adversary's plan was for us to be victims yeah. of someone else's decision. Yeah as opposed to agents who get to choose. Yeah. Well, it's back to Adam and Eve, right? Adam, Adam, speaking to the Lord, says, the woman gave me and I did eat, right? It, it, almost accusing Eve, maybe, a little or bit, but then he owns it. At least trying to pass <laughs> off a little of his right. own responsibility. Yeah, well, I, I did this, but because, right? Right. So that's the very first, uh, yeah, you see this, the adversary's manipulations in there. Well, that was the, the war beginning. in heaven over yeah. that same concept, yeah. right? You yeah. will be a result of somebody else's choices. Yeah. And that is just definitively not true. Okay, so talk to me about a young adult who's midway through their uh, professional training, okay. whether it's to tech school or it's a college or it's whatever they're learning. Mm -hmm. um, tell me how the idea of finding joy in the middle of something that's not joyful yeah. looks to that kid. Yeah, love it. So. There's a, a number of ways to do this. Maybe the most important one is always to remember and be grateful for all the blessings that you have, right? I'm not a gratitude journal guy. Probably should be, right? But I am very careful to express gratitude in prayers yeah. and in testimonies. Not, not in testimony meeting, but just in conversations with others. I'm quick to express gratitude because no matter what's happening, yeah. gratitude really is a solution. Mm -hmm. To the what was me concept. Sure, 
Sure. So that would be number one. Number two, this is now 44-year-old me looking back at 24-year-old me. And I'll never forget this. I was walking, it was my last week of finals at BYU, of my last year of my undergraduate. Okay. So I've got one week left, it's finals. I'm walking, you know, you're an undergrad, so you're parked 47 miles away from campus because you have to walk forever. And I'm on the phone talking to my dad, just saying, I cannot wait for next week to be over. Mm -hmm. Very common sentiment. I've right. probably said it a thousand times, and I've probably said it a thousand cents. Sure. But he said in that moment, be careful. Don't wish your life away waiting for some destination that I promise you is never going to come. Yeah, interesting. Right? And so there is joy in the journey yeah. if we're focused on the correct things. Yeah. My wife is a very big fan of saying to our children all the time, anytime we're asked to do, they're asked to do something they don't necessarily want to do, she just says, it's your attitude. Mm. It, uh, there's a little song she even sings to them, <laughs> which I will not for everybody's ears repeat here. But she, she said, it, it's your attitude that makes you do the things you do. It's your attitude that makes you who you are. Yeah. Right? And so to the young adult in the middle who's working a part-time job and taking all these classes and trying to date and have a, a social life sure. in that regard, I would say just keep smiling, have a great attitude, and what a blessing yeah. to be so gifted yeah. that you can do all of those things. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? And to have the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life at the same yeah. time, yeah. you're a sliver of a sliver of a percentage. Right, yeah. And, and the idea that, that when you kneel down at night and you pray for tomorrow and you ask for anything that ultimately you are hoping that you have a tomorrow, right? That, yeah. That's not promised, that's not guaranteed right. to anybody, but, but that, that then we look to the end of next week is crazy. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Like that's the end. I, I love that. Um, I wonder, uh, at the end of this chapter, and maybe just the, the very last verse there, and there's maybe some other things you want to touch on, but, but this just keeps coming to my mind. Lehi says in verse 30, I have spoken these few words unto you all my sons in the last days of my probation, and I have chosen the good part. That was his choice. Yeah. He made the choice yeah. to choose the good part. There was a choice. He didn't, he, didn't get, he didn't get forced to be a prophet. He didn't get forced to cross the ocean or take his sons out in the wilderness. He didn't, he didn't get forced to go through any of the trials that maybe somebody could say, well, you did that to yourself, man. Um, he chose to do what the Lord asked him to do, and the good part is how he saw that. that that's hope and joy and all those things all kind of wrapped up into that. I do wonder... Um, you know, as we talk about that kid going through his uh, last, middle of his college life, tell me what, you know, you've studied biblical Hebrew. So tell me at the end of your degree, mm -hmm. what was your plan? What were you going to go do? Well, teach seminary was plan A. Yeah. Yeah. I've but they make you have a plan B. That can't be plan I A. I had right? a plan B and C. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and fortunately, plan A worked out, but, but not initially. Mm-hmm. Like the first hiring process, I was actually told no. Oh yeah. Yeah, and um, and then invited to to do a second cycle. Uh -huh. and got invited and uh -huh. got hired the second time. And so, uh, what do you do with? Once again, sometimes what you learn is far less hmm. consequential than the process of going through sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, some of my very, very best friends in seminary and institute studied things that have nothing oh, to yeah. do with yeah. anything. I'm one of them. I have a music degree that, that yeah, I conduct the institute choir, right? right? But but I, I graduated college, went and was a, a teacher for 10 years. Yeah. 
thinking that I was going to conduct the Tabernacle Choir someday. That's That was my direction. I was getting my degrees in those things. And and then all of a sudden it became very clear where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing with the schooling that I had, right? right. So I would say to that young, that young person in the middle of their schooling that has a plan for next week, uh, just be willing to change your plan. Yeah, what's the saying, <laughs> like... Plan perfectly, execute flexibly. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that, that would be my yeah. invitation for sure. Yeah, I love that. But choose and act for yourself, right? Right. Okay, is there anything else in here you want to touch on before we close things up? Yeah, verse 8. Okay. Back in chapter 2, okay. sorry, verse 8. Yep, yep. Uh, the invitation from Lehi, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that, there may, that they may know that there is no flesh, that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. Mm. Um, how great the importance to make these things known. It echoes President Nelson's oft-repeated invitation to gather scattered Israel. It's the most important work happening on the earth. Right. How great the importance to make these things known. Mm. So for young adults listening, right, um, I would invite them to participate in the gathering. Yeah. What's that look like? Fulfill your calling. Sure. Right? Choose to be a part of this gathering. Yeah. Go to institute. It's an essential part of the gathering. Right. To see it in any other way would be folly on our yeah. part. Yeah. Go to the temple. Be temple worthy. If you're not temple worthy yet, get temple worthy. Mm. And then there are people in all of our sphere of influence who don't know this. And they are actually wondering about tomorrow or a week from now. Yeah. And they aren't sure, sure what the future looks like for them, both in this life and the next. Yeah. And so in prayerful and meaningful and personal ways, we all just need to make these things known yeah. unto all the inhabitants of the earth. Yeah, I was watching a show the other day, and, and one of the lead characters said that there's a great void between him and God. And I don't know how anyone would fill that void perfectly without the gospel that we understand. Yeah. Right? That, that for sure, they can they can shorten the gap. Sure. Right. With um, being Christian and following the Savior's way, but but to fill the void happens with the fullness. Right. Yeah. To, to, to fulfill that knowledge. Uh, Brother Butler, thank you. Um, it's been great to be with you, and, and uh, we will definitely have you back on. Before we ha um, hit stop, is there a message to young adults, maybe even directly to your stake, um, that, that maybe those out in the world can take as a proxy stake presidency yeah. message? Or I don't know. <laughs> don't know that you want to speak for all the stake presidents in the world. but I definitely do not. Um. <laughs> but just a thought that you would give them that uh, might be hopeful and helpful. Yeah. Um, that they are children of God, children of the covenant, disciples of Christ. Yeah. That with those three most essential identities, which by the way, for a prophet of God to, to make that indication first to a group of young adults says something about them. Yeah. He's taught it multiple times since, but the first time he taught it was to a group of young adults, mm. which definitely says something. Yeah. Um, that those three identities, more than anything else, indicate who you are, that the power that they have, the, the things that they can accomplish. Yeah. And so I would invite them, no matter what anybody says about you, no matter what you see, read, hear, no matter what 
what's going on in the world, no matter how people try to portray evil as good and good as evil, none of that. I would say just set all that aside and recognize that as children of God, children of the covenant, and disciples of Jesus Christ, they have unique power and access to the Savior, and that they will be a force for good to change people's lives and eternities. It's beautiful. It is President Nelson's message, I think, most of the time. Thank you, Brother Butler. Can we have you back on? Absolutely. Okay. This was fun. Thank you, sir. Yep.